coming through. Thank you, thank you. Simon's right, you would embarrass me. Hello, good morning. I love watching that video, don't you? Um, just exciting to see all the video healings from Australia. So I'm um, this mixture of delight that the healings are going on and um, jealousy that I'm not there in the sunshine, but never mind. Um, so this morning, um, we're going to change the way we do things a little bit because uh, we were intending to start one preach series, but in, in conversations amongst us as elders and praying, we felt like um, God's calling us to speak into something very different, actually. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to be speaking on the subject of spiritual opposition. And uh, then next week, Simon's going to be speaking on the subject of spiritual authority. So uh, let me just kind of introduce uh, this subject to you a little bit. It's, it's interesting being, seeing what's been going on uh, in the weather recently. I don't know if any of you have kind of noticed that we've been having some very unseasonable weather. Um, this is a picture coming off on the screen of a cricket match in Sevenoaks where um, snow forced play to be abandoned. So the, the cricket match was abandoned because of snow, which doesn't happen too often. Of course, further north, it's um, been even worse. Um, lambs are being born into the snow and are completely disorientated. And the Isle of Man has really been suffering uh, with the weather. And some motorists became trapped in very heavy snowfalls, so much so they had to phone the police, and the police sent out a van to rescue them. This is what happened. Um, so the, the rescue plan didn't go... That's not gone well, has it? That's not what they were hoping for. <laughs> And so I've been looking into this, and apparently um, meteorologists are saying that all this unusual activity is as a result of the jet stream, which is this large, fast-moving body of air 30,000 feet up in the atmosphere. And it's an invisible weather pattern that affects our lives down here, and it changes the environment around us. And most of the time we're unaware of it, and it, life carries on as normal, but every now and then something unusual happens, and suddenly we become aware. And so we're used to the idea that unseen influences can affect our physical world. In the same way, the Bible says that there are unseen spiritual realities that can affect the world around us. Other realms, if you like. And for all our postmodern sophistication, the majority of people still believe that there's more to life than what we can tangibly touch and see. Uh, last year, in 2015, a government survey discovered that whilst only 8% of the population would ever set foot in the doors of a church, well over 50% of the population believed that there are supernatural forces at work in the world. Uh, one survey I read even showed that a third of atheists believe in an afterlife. I'm not quite sure how they reconcile that. That's one of life's mysteries. It's right up there with how come Tarzan doesn't have a beard and why is there only one Monopolies Commission? You know, it's right up there in those kind of levels. But they do believe that nonetheless. Isaiah speaks of God being enthroned between the cherubim and that he is Lord over all the kingdoms of the earth. The Bible says very clearly that there are spiritual realms. And that's why the healings that we see are so significant and important. Just in the last week alone, we've seen a leg grow out and back pain going. In addition to all we've seen on the screen, we've seen cataracts healed. And a man from Woking, who I met last weekend, with molecular degeneration, which is an incurable condition of the eye, which effectively means blindness. In one eye, he wipes his good eye during worship and discovers that he can now see out of his previously blind eye. These things are significant. Yeah, you can thank God for that. 
these things are significant. They're significant first and foremost because it alleviates the suffering of the individuals concerned, but also it gives us a little window into the spiritual realms and the realities there and what God can accomplish. However, that's not the whole story. The Bible also says that whilst there are unseen forces for good, God and his angels, there are also unseen forces for evil. The bad news is that you and I were born on a battlefield, that we are in a war. But the good news is, I've read the end of the book, and we win. So it's all going to be all right in the end. But in the meantime, we're in a war nonetheless. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, he said that there are two equal and opposite errors that we can fall into. One is that we can end up making too much of our enemy. Now, we don't want to do that. We don't want to get into that perspective where everything is a spiritual issue and there's a demon under every wardrobe. We don't want to get like that. You know, when a light bulb blows in my house, I have a choice. I can stand there and shout and rebuke the darkness, or I can go and change the light bulb for a new one. I find the latter works better for me. We don't want to get things out of proportion. But then secondly, and equally important, the other ditch we can fall onto and the, uh, into on the other side of the road is that we are naive about the opposition that we face, to pretend it's not there. So instead, we want to live in tension of those two things and take the radical middle road. I don't know about you, but recently it's felt to me like there's been a lot going on. Ever since Phil and Carol very helpfully highlighted the issue of prayer and intercession for us, I've become aware that God is calling us to no longer be complacent about what's going on around us, but rather to be aware of what is happening spiritually. And whilst we're seeing tremendous breakthrough in healing, we're also seeing some unusual obstacles in this season. We've had disturbances when we've been meeting together. We've had medical emergencies. We've had sudden and unexpected serious illnesses come up. We have more people fighting cancer than ever before in our church family right now. We've had relational conflicts come out of nowhere, and we've had unusual practical challenges. It may be aware be, that you're aware of similar things. And we felt it's appropriate, and Carol Wilty's pioneered this for us, that we should have a special prayer meeting tonight for anybody that's available and can make it. Short notice, I realize, bank holiday. If you can't make it, that's fine. But if you can and would like to join us, we feel that we want to use our weapon of prayer to all its advantage this evening. So that's going to be happening six to seven here at King's House. Even personally, Emma and I, we've had uh, major problems with our house. We've had infestations of mice, rats, and ladybirds. One or two ladybirds is fine. When you've got hundreds of them in somebody's bedroom, it's a problem. And I've been tackling all these different things. We've had leaks coming in the house. We've had things breaking and going wrong. And so much so it's got to the point that it can no longer be attributed merely to my bad DIY, that there's other things at work here. And as I was praying about this, I felt the Lord say to me this very clearly, Paul, stop looking for practical solutions to spiritual problems. It's time to pray. So since then, I've been on my knees a lot more. Because sometimes there reaches a point where the number of things or the timing of things starts to look suspicious. 2 Corinthians 2, 11 has been going around my head all week where Paul's prayer for the Corinthians is that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The implication here in these verses is get wise to your enemy's tactics. You and I are not vulnerable. God is on our side. Notice there that the emphasis is on being alert, not scared. 
And sometimes 90% of the battle is knowing which battle you're fighting. The issue, rather, is that we are a danger to our enemy, and therefore he's going to try whatever he can to get at us. So we're going to spend the remaining time together this morning just looking at some of the tactics that the enemy might use against us so that we can be aware but not frightened. And as we go through, I'm going to whistle through a number of them. As we go through, I'd like you to think which ones do I most need to be alert to. If you're sat here with a friend or a spouse, uh, feel free to comment on them as well and which ones they might need to be particularly aware, aware of as well. And then if at the end, you know, you've got you know, all six of them, then you can call out bingo. Uh, you won't win a toaster, but the ministry team will descend on you and there'll be a lot of prayer. All right? It'll be great. That's called a code red, I believe, or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, so I kid. So we're going to whistle through these and you can figure out which ones apply to you, okay? So in no particular order, tactic number one is this, is this pride. James 4, 6 says this. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There seems to be here a link between pride and the enemy's tactics. One of our enemy's tactics, tactics is to get us to give in to pride in all kinds of ways. It might be in our pride in our abilities or our achievements, but more likely pride in terms of independence. The kind of thinking which says, I don't actually need God or anyone else for that matter. The kind of thinking that says, I don't want to bother anyone else so I'll try and fix this problem myself. Silly little example. Imagine you have to move a really large piece of furniture. Maybe it's a sofa or a fridge freezer or something like that. What's the first thought that goes through your mind? Is it A, who could I get to help me with this? Or is it B, how could I do this thing myself? Perhaps if I rigged up a system of levers and pulleys, perhaps if I hired a miniature forklift truck, truck I could move this piece of furniture myself. It, which one is most like you, I wonder? Or perhaps, try this scenario on for size, perhaps if a good friend wandered up to you and offered to give you a hand cleaning your kitchen, how would you find that? You know, would you be embracing that offer of support and help, or would you be thinking, no, thank you very much, and why are you asking anyway? What's behind all of that? Is it possible there's a little bit of pride in there, okay? Uh, the second tactic our enemy will sometimes use is this, intimidation. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. The, the image here is, is of opportunity. It, it, the devil looking for opportunity to pounce on weak believers or isolated believers. And roars here speaks to me of intimidation. One of our enemy's main tactics is to intimidate you to the point where you lose heart and give up. Often, it's when you're starting something new. Maybe you've decided to get baptized. Maybe you've decided to launch one of the groups in church life. Or maybe you're starting a new job or a decision to take on leadership. It's at that moment that intimidation will come. A classic one is when you start tithing or giving beyond what you would normally give. Say giving into the offering that we've got coming up. You decide on an amount, it's a bit of a faith stretch, you're wondering how you're going to manage it, but you think this is the right thing to do, and you sign up for that. Maybe sign the standing order or whatever. No sooner have you done that than an unexpected bill lands on your doormat. Has anybody else, has anybody else had that? Yeah? It's intimidation that comes in those kind of moments to get you to back off making steps of faith. Many of our young people 
face intimidation that's far more overt. Many of them face intimidation in school or college for the faith that they hold, and we need to keep praying for them. Intimidation comes in many different forms. I remember uh, hearing a story that demonstrates how intimidation doesn't have to dominate our lives. It was of a county council team who had the task of delivering a notice to quit, an eviction notice, to a particularly difficult tenant who'd been sort of terrorizing the area. And uh, this tenant was in a house with a sort of kind of compound area around a fence. And uh, right up by the house was a very, very vicious, aggressive dog on a long chain. And in order to legally serve notice, they had to by hand go up to the letterbox and put the letter through the letterbox. But no one on the team wanted to do it because every time they drew up in their cars, this dog would be all over them. So what, what they did is they had a meeting about it. And then the eldest member of the team, a little lady, a lady in her early 60s, five foot two, raises her hand in the air and says, don't worry, I'll do it. So they all agree to it. Uh, this lady goes off. <laughs> An hour later, she comes back, and the team gather around her, and they say to her, well, uh, how did it go? And she says, it was fine, no problem. They say to her, but, but, but what about the dog? And she said, oh, he was fine. I parked the wheel of my car on top of his chain, and he caused no problems whatsoever. <laughs> Listen, Jesus, if you like, has parked the wheel of his car on the devil's chain. <laughs> He's cha- he can't do anything. All that is left to him is intimidation. He might roar, he might bark, he might snarl, but his power was broken at the cross. The next one is this, lies. Um, Jesus says this of the devil, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. And there are many different lies that your enemy will whisper to you. Lies about yourself, lies about one another, lies about the goodness of God, lies even about the existence of God. Just quickly, an aside on this one, um, we need to realize that there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. And many of us in our Christian lives will have periods of time where we've got doubts that we need to wrestle with. When you have doubts, let me just be clear, that is not sin. Doubt is just an invitation to go deeper into the evidence for the faith that we hold, to explore that further. It might be that you're not a Christian here this morning, and the first step for you is you need to go on an alpha course to explore some of the doubts that you have. But others of us, we've been Christians a while, but we need, to, we need to dig in further. Perhaps you read books like The Reason for God by Tim Keller or various other books written by apologists because you can find solid ground for your faith if you dig in deep enough. Unbelief, meanwhile, is a refusal to believe God when there's clear evidence. And the d- devil will lie to you that you're in unbelief when actually... All that's happening is you've got doubts and you need to explore your faith a little bit more, okay? So lies of many different kinds will come. Sometimes it will be lies about inadequacy. Sometimes it will be lies about your talents or abilities and that you can't do something. Sometimes it will be lies about leaders or lies that cause you to question the motives and intentions of good people around you. But of course, the best lies are the ones that have a grain of truth in them. Do you know the most common lie I've come across through all the years in ministry I've had? It's this one here on the screen. The lie is this. You're different to everyone else. Therefore, you don't fit in here. How many people have had that lie come to them at some point or other? Be honest, raise a hand in the air. A good, good number of us. The majority of us, I would say, at some point or other are going to hear this lie. But, of course, there's a grain of truth in there. I mean, you are different to everybody else that's here. 
That's because God made you unique. So you're meant to be different. And the whole point of the thing is because you're different, you therefore fit a particular shaped piece within the body of Christ. So you do belong. So the fact that you are different means that you do fit in. So the next time you think, oh, I'm different to everybody else around in here, I just want to gently say to you, what part of unique do you not understand? Yes, of course you're different. You're made to be different because you have a unique contribution to the body of Christ. Okay? Right. Number four is this, temptation. Matthew 4, we see the devil coming to Jesus and tempting him time and again. And temptation, again, can take many different forms. But always it will tempt you to turn away from trusting God. It might be temptation to look at something on the internet, temptation to uh, pass on a morsel of gossip or let rip with your anger in a destructive way or manipulate those around you or to do something dishonest. But the keys to temptation are this. It will always be short-term thinking. Do this now for immediate pleasure or security. It won't get you to think about the long term. Also, it will pull you away from trusting the Father. If you falsify your tax returns, that way you'll have enough money. Pulls you away from trusting God for provision. And always the promise is that there won't be any bitter aftertaste, which of course is a massive stinking lie. Let me ask you, are there temptations you repeatedly fall for? If so, just telling one person about them can break the power of them in your life. Number five, temptation, uh, uh, tactic number five is this, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness that leads to division. The context uh, for the first verse we looked at is not, is not being ignorant of Satan's plan. It's actually one of unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians 2.10 says this, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that you would not be outwitted by Satan. It's about forgiveness. You know, uh, some people think that uh, working on staff in a church and being part of a church uh, leadership team must be lovely because they're such nice people and all, we all get along really well um, all of the time and that there won't ever be any tensions or difficulties, to which I would just gently want to say, have you met us? Um, you know, with all kinds of different personality types and makeup. And personally, I believe I'm the only normal one here. Um, that's, that's my contention. And I remember a, a few weeks ago now, um, I had a disagreement with one of the other people on team. And um, uh, I felt a bit let down by something. And he'd done such and such. And uh, so I went and I talked to him about it. And uh, then he said to me, well, Paul, I don't really think you're extending me much grace in this, which I think was probably true. And you're making a bigger issue of this than it really needs to be, which I think was probably true. And we had this very difficult, very awkward toe-curlingly uncomfortable conversation with one another, so much so we had another couple of people around us to help us uh, as we reconciled things. And we had this tough conversation, and then we linked arms and prayed together. I tell you, that is spiritual warfare, right there. That is spiritual warfare. A refusal to be separated, to be isolated from my brothers and sisters in Christ around me. That is what true spiritual warfare really is. It's not looking for demons under wardrobes. It's the refusal to be taken out of the game. It's a refusal to be isolated, and it's a refusal to live with offense. You know, I believe true unity isn't found in the absence of conflict. It's found in the resolution of conflict. True unity isn't found in the absence of conflict, it's found in the resolution of conflict. Our enemy's plan is to divide and conquer. This is what he wants. 
He wants to separate the different members of our body, if you like. I, I tried looking on Google Images for dismembered bodies, but the results were, were not ones that I should really want to show on a Sunday morning. So in the end, I've gone with Mr. Potato Head uh, up here on the screen, which I think is a, it's a much more PG-13 approach. You see, what, what the Lord wants is what's on the left, a, a nice whole body. Our enemy's plan is this, to chop us up and to isolate us, to take people out of the game. And one of the key ways he does this, to chop us up and isolate us, is when we choose to take offense. Uh, last October, Phil spoke so powerfully on dealing with offense. If you haven't listened to that talk, that's a must. It's absolutely compulsory for every Christian in this church, I would say. If you're watching this talk online, turn me off and go back to October 2015 and play that talk instead. It's absolutely vital to listen to that. Okay, so that's, that's the fifth way. And then sixth and lastly for us this morning, the last tactic of our enemy is illness. Around 75% of Jesus' healings in the New Testament don't seem to be attributed to a spiritual issue. It's hard to tell, but the other 25% certainly were. The thing is, whether it's a spiritual issue or a natural issue, our response to sickness is the same either way. We offer practical support and spiritual firepower. There's no sickness in heaven, and we're called to bring heaven here on earth. That means whenever we come across sickness, something is wrong, and we're called to bring the kingdom. Because otherwise, what we tolerate will dominate. We have a number of people here who've been diagnosed with cancer, as I said earlier. More people at the same time than I have ever known. People fighting cancer right now. Here's the thing. We're going to fight with them. We're going to fight with them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to love them. We're going to make them meals. We're going to love their families. And we're going to thank God for the dedicated medical care that they are receiving. You know, in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul has this image of the Roman soldiers. And pr probably the most essential piece of kit that a Roman soldier carried was his shield. Big, wide, oblong shield. Why? Because he would use that shield not just to protect him, but to the man on his left and the man on his right. In the same way, when we face spiritual opposition, what do we do? We close ranks. We cover one another. We protect one another. We look out for one another. That's one of the reasons why being part of a group is so important, because you've got others who can close ranks around you in your moment of need. So I guess those six tactics, I get us to look at them and say, which one of those do you feel you are most susceptible to? If the enemy were to try and take you out, which one would he have a crack at? Why don't you just very quickly turn to the person next to you and say, I think it's number one for me, or number two, or I think for you it's four, five, six. You know, whatever you want to say, turn to the person next to you. Which one do you feel most susceptible to? Okay. Everybody got, everybody got an idea? Yeah? All right. Well, now, now that you're alert, now that you're aware, let, as we, let me, as we close, look at how we respond to these different tactics, how we, how we tackle these as they come along. Um, we don't have time to look at them all, but next on the screen are two of the most famous passages on spiritual warfare from the Bible, Ephesians 6 and 1 Peter 5. The thing I want you to notice from both of them is that both Peter and Paul show us how to fight. 
Look at the most common word there. It's simply this, stand. Stand your ground. The way we take ground is by standing our ground, refusing to be intimidated, refusing to back down, refusing to give up. You know, um, I remember hearing the story of uh, a village um, in the jungles of India, and uh, one of the uh, rites of passage they had as young men became, uh, as young boys became men, uh, was that they would have to go out into the jungle and spend the night alone. And I remember hearing the story about this, this one young boy who was sent out, I think he's about 13, 14, to spend the night in the jungle. And obviously it's a dangerous place. There were leopards, black bears, and tigers in this part of the jungle. Dangerous thing. Um, so he goes out and he sort of crouches down on the jungle floor at, as it gets dark and just tries to sit it out throughout the whole night. And throughout the whole night he is terrified. Every shriek, every growl, every roar just runs through his whole body. So he sits crouched on the floor shaking with fear. Anyway, as the night draws to an end and dawn starts to come, gradually the light begins to filter through the trees and he becomes aware of the shadows and shapes. And to his horror, he notices that a tree not far away, pretty near, he sees a, sh a shadow on a tree branch uh, and his heart starts racing. He stays perfectly still. But as the light increases, he then begins to make out the shadow. He had thought it was a leopard, but as he looks, he can see, actually, it's the figure of a man. And as the light increases, he can see it's a man who's actually holding a rifle. And as the light increases all the more, he recognizes the figure. It's his father. He's been watching over him all night. You see, that young man, the only thing he had to fear was fear itself. Because the whole time, his father was watching over him. It's just the same for you and I. Our Father loves us and watches over us. And he, he's packing far more than a rifle, I can tell you. You know, we need to recognize that there is a plan of the enemy to take us out. But we also need to have a greater awareness of the superiority of our king yeah. and his abilities. You know, when I was a kid, um, we used to do rough and tumbles with my dad. And uh, what we used to do is um, wait until he got in the door and then we would try and pounce on him. Uh, but my dad has always done physical labor all his life. Electrician, plumber, moving cables, very strong upper body. Sadly, it seems to have skipped a generation. But anyway, very strong <laughs> upper body. And we, my brother, my younger brother and I, we'd pounce on him, we'd go for him, and we'd swing arms and legs, we'd be trying to grab him, you know. And uh, the whole time, he would, he would be having a conversation with my mother whilst he would fend us off. And, he would, you know, we'd be going at him, charging, every, anything, anything we could do to get him to the ground. And uh, in the end, he'd be just chatting to my mom, so how's today been and everything? He'd be fending us off. And then he would sit down on the sofa. I st distinctly remember this. Whilst we're trying to beat him up, he would sit down on the sofa. Mum would bring him a cup of tea. He'd have a sip of a cup of tea, just use one hand, and he'd flick through the paper. And then in the end, the, the climax of the, the rough and tumble was always this. He would suddenly pounce on us, and he'd grab one of us in each hand, and then he would pin us to the ceiling like this. <laughs> Of course, I'm the older brother, so I'm all bravado. And so I'd say to Stuart, don't worry, we've got him just where we want him. You know, <laughs> he, he could deal with us in an instant. He didn't even have to stand up to tackle us. Do you know what it says of Jesus in Ephesians 1? It says that God has placed all things under his feet. All things, everything. 
It's a reference back to ancient times when kings would utterly defeat their enemies so they'd have the enemy king come and kneel before them whilst they sat on their throne and then they would place the soles of their feet on the necks of the kings that they had conquered, that they had totally subjugated them. In other words, it's saying that Jesus uses our enemies as his footstool. So complete is his victory that he hasn't gone to Ikea. He has used his enemies as furniture. Okay, so that's, that fills us with so much confidence and strength and energy. Jesus has won the victory. He's made his enemies footstools. And as a result, we can have confidence that we are on the winning side. It's not who's going to win, is it 50-50? No, Jesus has utterly defeated our enemies. And every obstacle we face is merely intimidation or temptation or the other issues that I mentioned. God is victorious. So we can be a people of boldness and confidence reaching a much-needed world around us.